welcome to the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. My name is Natalie Nidham. I'm a nutritionist, a human potential, and epigenetic coach, and I created this podcast to bring you the latest ways to take control of your health and longevity. We cover it all, from new technology to ancestral health practices, personalized interventions, and a very special interest of mine, peptides. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome back to the episode. And when I say guys, I actually mean guys today. My guest is a man's man. And this episode is really targeting you men. And if you're a woman, that doesn't mean you want to check out because if you have men in your life, this could be a really important episode for you to share with them. Mike is a performance specialist and he is the founder of an organization called the Kettlebell Lifestyle. He's got a deep background in human performance, personal development for men, and he is a sought-after international presenter in the field of health and fitness. We had a great conversation about his own path of resolving sports-related injuries and how he got interested in what he's doing now. And he runs these incredible, or what sound like these really life-changing men's retreats where it's all about the boys. And I just really enjoyed my conversation with Mike. I'm really excited to share this episode with you guys. It's very different than any other episode I've recorded to date. And I think you're really going to enjoy it. So to get in touch with Mike, you can find him um, through his website, which is kettlebelllifestyle.com. You can find him on Facebook, which is Mike Salemi Official. His last name is S-A-L-E-M-I Official. And on Instagram, he's Mike.Salemi, which is Mike.S-A-L-E-M-I like mother I. So just sit back and relax on this one. I don't know that you're really going to need your notebook for this one, but I think you're really going to enjoy it. And if any of you are looking for that reboot, then Mike is hosting a retreat coming up in October, and it might just be the best way to spend a weekend. So enjoy the episode. You know, of course, how much I appreciate you guys and how much I love doing this. And so if you get value from this episode, please make sure that you share it out with your friends, your family, your networks, anybody who you think will also get value from it. And if you did get value from the episode and are feeling inspired, please make sure to leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening to the podcast. And if you've got any comments, questions for me, you know where to find me. My website, natnidham.com, on Instagram at Natalie Nidham, and on Facebook in the Optimizing Superhuman Performance Group. So thank you so much for being here and enjoy the episode. Hey folks, just a little bit of housekeeping before we launch into the episode. Please remember that all of the information provided in these podcasts is for information purposes only. We are never offering treatments, cures, whatever, for any kind of disease or medical condition. Anything you hear about here is going to be intriguing. There's some research around it, but make sure that you check with your medical provider before you go off and do any of this stuff for yourself. All right. Hey folks, just a quick minute to thank our sponsor for this episode, Oxford HealthSpan, makers of Primadine, the only Spermdine supplement that I personally use and recommend to my clients and family. 
Spermidine has earned a permanent spot on my longevity stack. Research has shown that spermidine positively impacts six of the nine hallmarks of aging, including protecting your DNA from damage as you age. Regular users also experience visible results after just one to three months, including better hair, skin, nails, and deeper sleep. I choose Primadine because it is the only spermidine supplement on the market that is free of any additives or excipients, while including a prebiotic to feed your own bacteria to make more of your own spermidine. And now Primadine also has a gluten-free version. To try Primadine, go to primadine.com and use discount code BIONAT15 to save 15% off your purchase. And now let's get back to the episode. Welcome to the podcast, Mike Salemi. It is such a pleasure to meet you today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super stoked to be here. Yeah, I'm super stoked to have you. I'm really excited about this conversation. Actually, as people know, we always have a conversation before the podcast. And that's when I feel like that's when we kind of warm up as host and guest when we haven't met before and kind of pick up on each other's energy and vibe a little bit and come to an understanding about where we're hoping to take this conversation. So uh, this is a bit of a departure for me because, you know, more often than not, I think as a woman, mostly it's women that gravitate towards me to, for these podcasts. And I end up talking about a lot of women-centered stuff, even though I'm not a women's podcast. When your name first came across my desk, I was like, oh, well, it's all about guys. And I kind of went, yeah, but I talk about girls all the time and we need to talk (laughs) about the boys. So gentlemen, this one's kind of for you. Ladies, this is also for you. If there's a man in your life that, you know, you want to help and support in any possible way. So Mike is, I believe you mostly work with men, but before we get into that, because looking at the things that you do, they apply to all humans, really. We always like to start this podcast understanding a little bit more about our guest and how he got to where he is today. So if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Your likes, your dislikes, and such. That would be <laughs> my favorite foods, my yeah, yeah. my vices. Yeah, yeah a- absolutely. And and really, the men's work is something probably in the last five years that has really taken shape. But for the last eighteen plus years, my focus has always been on fitness, mm-hmm. and and that's always been for for men and females. But like, really, my background, I always say, just started as an athlete. So as a young kid, I was in gymnastics quite heavily competed for 10 years in competitive powerlifting, Olympic weightlifting in college, 10 years of competitive kettlebell sport. So basically my training ground, and I had some amazing coaches like US Olympic coaches all along the way. And it was amazing. Uh, But what I will say is in that whole journey of being an athlete, the interesting thing was always the transition from one sport to the next came resulting due to injury. And so in that time, my natural, that's really what I honestly think as not just athletes, but as people like the, for me, the worst feeling in the world is to feel stuck. And when an athlete or a person is stopped in their natural progression towards their dream. And so whether it's your, uh, you've got new business, let's say you're starting something happens or family issues happen and you're stopped in that natural progression it's really tough. It's really tough on not just the physical body, but more importantly, the mental and the emotional body. Mm -hmm. So for me, what I found was, is even though I was working with amazing coaches and was getting great results, 
what most people didn't see what was actually happening under the surface. And so I went through about a two and a half year struggle or battle with gut issues from fungal infections, parasite infections, bacteria infections. I was experiencing stomach ulcers. And so that was a huge, huge rebuilding process where I had to completely stop training completely for six months. Wow. And because my identity was so wrapped up in being the athlete, so many times in this process, I really didn't know who exactly I was. Mm -hmm. And so as I've worked with greater and greater coaches and just had more experience, really what I realized is intentional fitness or fitness in general needs to look far beyond sets, reps, loads, tempo. Those are the classic things as coaches. And, and I know you have a fitness background as well. Those are the things that maybe we geek out on. And there is a time and a place for that. It's so, it can be really helpful. But if we forget the person yeah. And we forget that maybe someone's going through a relationship challenge or is eating foods they're sensitive to. All of those things have an absolutely critical role in the performance of the individual, but also like me and you were talking before we hopped on, the longevity. Yeah. And be, being a world championship level athlete in two sports, what I really realized is, I mean, it means a lot to me, yes, to reach these goals. And I learned so much about myself, but really it's not about a one time, like being a one hit wonder. It means so much more to me to feel good, to move well. And so my goals as a person and as a man have completely changed over the years to how can we actually have sustainable fitness that includes and encompasses the whole person so mm -hmm. that not only can we be physically fit and strong and resilient and able and confident, but also we can do so into our older years. And so I've got plenty of people in their 60s, late 50s who are just, you know, want to do something different. They know that mm -hmm. what they've been doing has gotten them to a place, but maybe they want more now. Their context for their goals and their dreams include way more than what weight is on the bar. Yeah. So that's kind of a brief summary of like my background and really what's gotten me here. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, you know, I love what you said about how every transition to a different sport involved an injury. I find that for myself, it's not that different. Like I had to leave CrossFit because of mm. injuries and move into the next thing. And as we're looking towards, uh, you know, as we get older and I'm in that group of people, the 50 or in the fifties, you know, as we move through our fifties, we start to understand if we didn't understand before the degree of respect with which we need to <laughs> to treat this vessel, right? Because, you know, to your point, yeah, looking great is amazing. But what we're really looking for at this point is functional fitness and fitness that's going to allow us to move well and age well and do the things that we dream of doing for all the decades that we have left. And speaking to the whole person and not just the body is where we then have to start integrating, right? I do. I think it's really interesting how you talk about how your whole identity was wrapped up in this athlete identity. And it's really hard today, to be honest, because like, and this is the matter, this is the truth. Like if you look at social media or you look at the media, it's like what they put out are the crossfires. You don't usually see the misses. No. You don't usually see what's happening underneath the surface. And so that really can give a distorted view of the reality of what's actually happening. And the more people that you talk to and the more people that you have heart-centered conversations with and actually ask, like, even at the top of your game, let's say, you know, how was life at home or how was things? Mm -hmm. And like any goal takes a certain amount of energy, takes a lot of focus and concentration and dedication and commitment. 
but that can also come at a great, great expense to the people that we love. And so, you know, I think this is all a big, big thing that I believe in is, for example, like I love unconventional training tools, kettlebells, as you're very well familiar with, mm-hmm. I teach Bulgarian bags and all sorts of stuff. And those are great tools. And a lot of the movements are fantastic. But what happens is, is I believe in people earning their way into these things, just showing up to a CrossFit gym or a strength and conditioning facility and someone throwing you into a kettlebell snatch for max reps, you may get a great sweat going and you're probably going to feel it in every muscle. But if you haven't laid down the reps or the fundamental foundational steps, it's like when you look at Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant or some of these greats, you know, oftentimes they would always talk about like, the not sexy stuff that they would do. Like, mm-hmm. I don't even know, like a thousand free throws and just drilling. It. It's not always the most sexy or things that people want to hear. But when I look at my own training, I really consider it very much meat and potatoes. It's mm-hmm. foundational movements, working on posture, working on breathing. And then the body has the ability and the capacity to support some of these more dynamic or more sexy movements. But if we don't earn our way into that, that's when we leave just this whole window of problems to arise. And then we get there and we get injured and we're like, how did this happen? Well, if we retrace the steps, <laughs> yeah. probably not that, uh, it's probably not that surprising. No. And especially in CrossFit, I mean, not to beat up CrossFit, because I think mm. the thing about CrossFit that's those, the most amazing for me is the community that people build through that sport. There's nothing, I to this day, I've never found anything that even comes close to it. Mm. Um, but the trail of broken bodies that it's epic, right? Because if you, to your, you know, if you haven't, if you haven't gotten the real foundations down on the snatch on a kettlebell snatch, it hurts and you will hurt yourself. And it's one <laughs> side of your body at a time and it's heavy load and it's high speed and it's high reps. And it, you just do it for however, whatever the AMRAP is. And then you pay the consequences on the other side. (laughs) It's so true because even like I hear all the time, like a kettlebell swing, which is like, for those who aren't familiar, it's probably when people think about kettlebells, I would imagine they either think of the kettlebell swing might come up in their head or something called the Turkish getup. Yeah. And those are great movements. But at the same time, like a kettlebell swing for me is an intermediate to an advanced lift. Mm -hmm. It's a high speed movement, a repetitive power movement. And if you don't have the prerequisites of stability, of mobility, range of motion, it's like um, you're basically like shooting a cannon from a canoe, as as one of my mentors would say, <laughs> Paul Check. It's like so there there that might be uh, a beginning kettlebell movement, but it's by no means a beginner level movement. Absolutely. So yeah. So let's talk a little bit. Also, that I, I love that <laughs> shooting a cannon out of a canoe. That actually, the imagery on that is rather hilarious. <laughs> So let's talk about some of the people that really influenced you along the way, because I know that that I listened to another podcast you that you were on, and there's a chiropractor who was a big turning point for you. And then I would imagine that Paul Check had some degree of influence on where you're <laughs> just a little. Today. I don't think he, you know, once you come in contact with a guy like that, you don't come out the other side unchanged necessarily. So maybe we could talk about that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, from when I was a gymnast, my most influential coach was a Bulgarian uh, two-time Olympian named Krasimir Dunov. He was the first ever person at the time, I think he did this one in 96, not 92, to do uh, six release moves on the high bar. So for example, they would do giants or swings around the bar. 
let go and then re-catch. They would do some type of acrobatic movement. And so he was incredible. Uh, he was actually from, I don't know, 11 or 12 years old. And he had like the body of, I mean, he was just ripped. And he always told us that like, if you want to be like me and you want to look like me and you want to perform like me, you got to get rid of the junk food. And yeah. down my street, I've got Taco Bell, McDonald's, uh, Pizza Hut and Carl's Jr. Like nice. literally I could see <laughs> them from my house window right now. And so as a kid, that was like my go-to after school. And so when he said that, like I told my parents, I was like, mom, dad, enough with fast food. Krasimir says no. And so the answer is oh, nice. no. Nice. And, <laughs> and so he planted some amazing seeds. And then uh, in powerlifting, the chiropractor who rehabbed me was a drug-free bench press champion of the world. He was a big influence. Um, I trained at a gym called Westside Barbell for about a month when I was 18. There's a Netflix documentary, very, very, very intense gym, hands down the strongest gym uh, that there's ever been in history. I mean, multiple 900 plus pound squatters, six, wow. 700 pound benchers. I mean, any day of the week, seven, 800 pound deadlifters. And so in that facility, I mean, it was like a, it's a cutthroat, cutthroat gym, like oh, truly only the strong survive. <laughs> but that I learned so much because a lot of the books behind me are actually translated books from Russia. And mm. so a lot of the, during the, the Soviet era, they put so much learning and education on a world stage and outperforming the other countries, specifically the USA, that they had developed so much in the training methodologies. And so Louis Simmons, who actually just passed away recently, the owner of that gym, uh, he would always encourage people to read. He would always leave books at the gym. And so he was a big influence on me. Um, in kettlebell sport, I, I went to St. Petersburg, Russia to train with the national team. Wow. And in, in all of these things, they were, I don't, I don't know how to say it, but maybe like purists. And I think we need purists because they're mm -hmm. people who have completely devoted their life's work to one specific goal, objective sport, whether that's pushing as much weight as you can or lifting kettlebells for 10 minutes nonstop. But what I found was, is even though like I learned so much about that sport, the biggest missing element was what we talked about earlier or we touched on, which was the whole person. Mm -hmm. And so I'd been studying Paul since I was, I think 16 or 17, I had his book, How to Eat, Move and Be Healthy. Wow. And I was the strength and conditioning coach when I was 18 at a holistic lifestyle center, all modeled after Paul's teachings. And so I had studied with him, take, taken courses, but really in the final years of kettlebell sport, I had an injury to my left forearm that no one could figure out for two and a half years. Basically, my left forearm would pool with blood. It would swell. I'd be forced to drop any during any difficult, whether it was a competition effort or not, I'd be forced to drop the kettlebells and I wasn't really able to reach the level that I wanted. And so in one of his courses in his holistic lifestyle, I think it was his level two course, at the end when we were all trying to get his signature and he was signing this uh, meditation stick, you know, it wasn't really the right time. There was probably 40 people in line who all wanted his time. But I was like, Paul, like, I mean, for those who aren't familiar, Paul Check is kind of like one of the fathers of functional movement. He's a holistic health practitioner, and he's really made his life's work in solving medical failures. Yeah. From, from cancer to orthopedic injuries to uh, Kobe to you name it. And so I was like, Paul, nobody can figure out what the F is going on with my arm? And I was almost in tears. I was like, can you help me? And he was the first person after seeing almost nine different practitioners over two and a half years, he was the first person that didn't promise he could fix me. Nice. And I was like, wow, 
with the level of experience and knowledge and background as this guy, he told me on the spot, he's like, based off of what you're saying, and he felt my form, it sounds like I have an idea, but I can't promise you I'm not positive I can work with, or not positive I can create a solution, but I think I, I know what it is. You'd have to come down for one to two days and we can see. And we can develop this the process and we can see if we can rebuild you. And so I just trusted my gut and two and a half years of every single month flying down to San Diego, California, it complete, he completely reoriented my view on strength and conditioning. And his teachings is really the cornerstone and the foundation for really how I view all strength and conditioning and performance and wellness. So he's been a massive coach, mentor, friend. Uh, now to me, I started with him in I think it was like 2013 to 2016. So, you know, almost not quite 10 years, but about nine years we've been in close contact. Wow. That's amazing. That's some mentor for anybody to get a hold of. So that's, and so what's amazing, what I love also about you is you've taken, you know, all of this learning, all of this information and like all people in the space really who are creators, you've now synthesized really your own approach out of all all of this stuff, which is, which I think is really amazing. And I'm really looking forward to learning more about it right now. So one of the things that you talk about a lot is called intentional fitness. And maybe you could explain to us what that means exactly. I mean, it sounds amazing to me because I said to you, you know, I've been in, in gyms and in, as a, as an instructor and different things and seen lots of people unintentionally do any number of things in a gym. But I think that what you're talking about maybe goes a little bit deeper than that. So, but maybe we could talk about that, that concept a little bit and how you use it with your clients and the people that you work with. Yeah, certainly. I mean, it, it, at a basic level, I think two things come up. One, what we shared earlier about how the human body is composed of a complex system of systems. And so to just to treat it from the physical lens, you miss the mental, the emotional, and the spiritual. And because we're all just unified human beings, any stress in any one of those areas will absolutely have an effect in the other. And so in my work with Paul, we did like, I mean, I was only traveling, not only, but traveling to him once a month. But then during the month, I would fill out what he would call a training readiness assessment, which would look at on each day, limbic emotional stress, hormonal stress, muscle and joint soreness, something he calls his four doctor approach. So looking at the happiness component or the mindset, looking at diet, looking at quiet, he calls it a recovery, and then looking at movement. And so the consideration again of all those things is what filters into this intentional fitness. And to even just make it even more simple for people, really uh, what I learned from Paul is breaking down movement into two broad categories. You have the working out component, which most everyone is familiar with. That is any, let's just say anything that costs the body in more resources than it brings in. So mm -hmm. there's a few markers that we know at a basic level, and you don't need any technology to, to do this. You don't need, not that there's not a place for uh, whoop bands or aura rings. I've used a lot of that stuff, but really the working in component on the flip side is any activity that someone is doing that actually brings in or cultivates more in that an expense than it expends. So in a working in exercise, you're really looking at respiratory rate, 
which should not rise. So respiratory, your breathing rate should stay at, so if your respiratory rate is increasing, you know you're heading into a working out zone. If heart rate increases, you know you're heading into a working out. If you're sweating, if your tongue starts drying out, and then if you're on a working in exercise, you should be able to do it on a full belly and it should improve digestion. So I'm sure all of us have had the experience where like you had a big dinner, you went out with friends and then you walked to the car. And by the time you got to the car, you notice, wow, like I really feel like I've digested, like I feel lighter. I feel like, you know, digestion was stimulated. And so any exercise can be a working in exercise. The thing we have to be mindful of, and this is where the intentional component comes in, is at any point in our life, especially with, uh, with relation to our training, are we actually training or are we draining? And so if when we go to the gym, we're actually feeling more run down when we leave or we're feeling our, it's taking us longer to, wor- to warm up, for example, then we might need to incorporate more meditative type activities or these working in movements to balance the energy so that we're not just draining, draining, draining. And so it does take a lot of self-awareness and that's really the tool that we can use as human beings to improve that longevity component. So the balancing of those two forces or those two catabolic anabolic systems, that's really what my whole system is about. And what I, again, learned from Paul Check and kind of made it my own in certain, certain respects is balancing the working in with the working out component. Cool. So can you give us an example of what a working in, what working in looks like? Yeah. So to keep it super simple, like let's just say a squat, right? So mm-hmm. a bodyweight squat, which everyone's familiar with. So in a bodyweight squat done with the intention of working in, essentially what it would be is uh, the saying is the slower we go or the slower we move, the faster energy flows. And so in a working in exercise, you are doing slow tempo squats. So slow down, slow up in harmony with your breathing. And so any exercise where we move closer towards the fetal position. So as you descend into a squat, you're moving into that fetal position. You're moving into what's called, as you know, spinal flexion. You're coming more towards the midline. Um, There's adduction of the body. The breathing is exhalation. Anytime you're opening, opening the rib cage, coming out of the fetal position as if you're ascending out of the, from the bottom of a squat into the top, that would be synonymous with inhalation. So during the lowering phase of the squat, the idea is to move as slow as you can and to basically, as you're lowering down, exhale through the nose and as you're raising up, inhale through the nose. Now, what I talked about earlier, which makes it really challenging, and this is where he was challenged me quite a bit, is if you notice that your tongue's starting to dry out, your respiratory rate is increasing, your heart rate, or you're noticing your sweat, then you need to modify the range of the movement. So you need to do more shallow squats and you need to still synchronize the breath with the movement. And if you can stay in that momentum, in that groove, that's how we build the, the energy in the system to actually have movement be an energizing force in our life. So any movement, you can think of can be working in. And the beauty is one of the things that's different from like working out or loaded movements specifically is technique is not the main focus. So if your spine wants to round, let it round when you go down. So it's not about getting in your head. It's about getting in your body. And some of the biggest ahas, realizations uh, that I've ever had have all come through these working in movements. And the cool thing is, is it doesn't have to be intimidating. Meditation for me, starting off with a powerlifting background, training at Westside Barbell, all this stuff, 
I was always afraid of meditation. I was like, that's foreign, that's strange, that I'm going to look funny. Mm -hmm. But when we can take movements that we're already familiar with, like even just taking a broomstick and doing a deadlift, but as we lower down, exhaling, as we stand up, inhaling, done with those criteria, we can take a familiar movement that we know, that we love, that feels safe, and we can actually have it be an energy cultivating activity. Wow. That's really cool. So how much of your, how much working in does one do versus working, working out? Like, how do you determine the balance between those two things? I mean, it sounds really interesting. And my actual real background is classical ballet. Oh, wow. And <laughs> working in sounds a lot more like the bar work that we would do to prepare for, you know, the fancier kind of cooler stuff that you would do in the center of the room which is, you know, it's the basics. It's very methodical. It's very, it's maybe a little bit more focused technically, obviously, because everything in ballet is highly technical. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing if it's not technical, but that whole idea of very intentional, very slow, not about like laying yourself out kind of thing, but, but just a very, very measured way of moving. And yet, integral movement. So how do you balance the working in and working out, which by the way, I love working in as a term. I think that's so cool. (laughs) I think, you know, there's a few resources and a few things I can point people towards. So Paul's got a great book that I don't even know when he put it out, probably 25, 30 years ago, how to eat, move and be healthy. In the beginning of that book, there's a questionnaire that anyone can take. They're all super simple questions looking at things like stress, like digestion, movement, um, when you eat, energy levels. And once you basically complete the questionnaire, it puts you or gives you in that moment where you are in one of three categories. Are you in a red zone, meaning the body is highly stressed, which someone who's in a red zone, and you could look at this as an aura ring or a whoop, but that's his questionnaire. Yeah. Someone like that should not be doing any working out. Because working out is actually going to send them into a deeper energetic deficit and send them into a hole that is just going to be hard to get out of. So someone like that, that's already starting with a high level of stress or a lot of stuff going on, just working in or simply like my favorite thing to do, honestly, and it sounds super simple, but again, meat and potatoes, just getting someone, especially when they wake up in the morning to go outside and walk for 20 minutes, nasal breathing, that can and will change my life, change your life, change. If you're listening to this and that's all you do is go outside, get some sun on your body and nasal breathe for a 20 to 30 minute walk with no technology, game changer. Yeah. Then there's like a yellow zone. Someone who's kind of in the middle, maybe is, is got some, some medium physiological load. Then that someone might be able to do kind of like a mix. Maybe I'm just going to say in general, a 50, 50 blend of working into working out. Then there's people who, if they're being now here's, caveat. A lot of people who fill out the questionnaire have a very, and this just happens, have a very, they where they think they are yeah. and where they actually <laughs> are, are two different things. So I can't even tell you how many times on that questionnaire. And then we do a more uh, comprehensive questionnaire in, in the later levels, but I can't even tell you how many people think they're in the green. And then when you actually look at their paperwork or you have a conversation with them, you're like, some stuff isn't really adding up. <laughs> like either you're lying or you just don't quite know like what a good poop is. Like you yeah. really don't know what good digestion is, good elimination is. So I will say there's a caveat there. 
And then someone who's in the green zone, green light. Like you can basically do all the working out that you want, but you've got to be mindful that you're actually rebuilding. So in that perspective, I would still do at least probably in general, 25% working in, 75% working out. And then, for example, in my program, I've got a program called Kettlebell Lifestyle. Um, Basically, it's a very slow, stair-step, methodical approach to entering into kettlebells for beginners or intermediates. And on any training day, once you start the training phase after you do an on-ramp, there's five questions that I ask. And basically, I took Paul's daily readiness assessment that looked at all those factors And I simplified as much as I could and distilled it down so that it's a subjective test. So there is some play with that. But basically looking at things like um, water retention, bloating, things about gut health, looking at motivation level, looking at how they're managing stress, looking at if their muscles or joints are sore from the last session or they recovered. And in literally 15 seconds, you can click these boxes and then your training volume modifies based off of where you are on that day. And if you're showing up as very stressed and you're honestly filling it out, like hopefully it should be done, then it might recommend just do working in today Mm -hmm. or or just do your corrective flexibility program. So it's going to be based on the individual. And this is where the intentional aspect comes in is treating everyone like an individual and how I train myself to how maybe I train my girlfriend or how I might work with you or anybody else is going to be totally different based off of the starting place. And it's very intentional in that perspective. Yeah, I love that. I mean, so often we... You know, I come across people who are, you know, so desperate to fill in the blank, be in shape, lose Mm. weight. And particularly, I see this a lot in women going through menopause because they wake up one morning, they've packed on a whole bunch of weight that wasn't there. Nothing much has changed except that their sleep's gone to hell in a handbasket because of their hormones shifting. Their stress has gone off the charts. They've packed on all this weight and they... And the natural response, you know, is to run harder, run more often, do more things. And and they end up putting themselves into this really bad spot where they've completely drained the battery, as it were. And the instinct is to push out more to try and offset when really it's that turning inwards piece that maybe people need to do a bit more of. And, you know, I think maybe it's I don't know if it's human nature to want to not deal with the thing, right? I'm just the real gonna, issue. Yeah, no, yeah. I don't want to yeah, deal yeah. with it. It's, it's not that <laughs> I want to deal with it. If there's a piece of, I'm just going to push through this. Like, this is not cool. This is not okay. I don't want to be in this space or, or, you know, even guys who are injured and they're just going to push through whatever it is. Like that human response of, you know, it's like when you fall down, you pick yourself right back up again. Everything mm-hmm. fine, nothing to see here, right? You barely even take the time to make sure that everything's still attached. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? It's a human nature thing to want to be okay and push through. And, you know, this approach, what you're really doing is, okay, let's just check in. Where are you at? And then let that be your guide without really the technology piece, which to some degree, teaching, reteaching people how to check in with themselves without having to look at a ring or an app or a, a band, which I mean, I use the BioStrap and the and the Aura. You know, we use all the toys, but being able to go back to that place where you're just checking in with yourself to figure out what do I need today, and then honoring what mm. you need today. 
it's so important because like I'm not against technology at all. So anyone who's listening, please don't get that. Uh, please don't take that from this conversation because I've used those things and they can be great, especially in times where we need an objective measurement. Like we need to, yeah. it can be really helpful, but just like what you said, when it becomes a crutch, that's when it becomes a problem. Like I remember, I forget if this, yeah, this was when I was using the aura ring, like super regimented, like every day for nine months. And then I went on a, a little vacation and I forgot my ring at home. And so, cause with kettlebells, it's, it will wreck the ring. Yeah. Uh, and so like I would take it off. And so I remember being on a trip and I remember having a ton of anxiety yeah. because I woke up <laughs> like forgetting, I forget if I realized it the night before, or just in that moment that I didn't have the ring. And I was like, so much anxiety came up. I was like, oh, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know. Do I, do I work out? Do I work in? And I started getting all up in my head. And then I was like, whoa. <laughs> you need to slow the F down. And it was such a wake-up call that I had over-relied on that technology. And so what I would recommend anyone who's using a technology, maybe incorporate from time to time, maybe it's five days on, two days off. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it's a period of time where you don't go without it and you really start tuning into what you had shared about the instinctual body. Because if I'm out in the woods or whatever, I want to be able to have enough inner knowing that where I'm at in that moment to guide my decisions for the rest of that day. But if I'm literally like deer in a headlights and I have no idea and I'm waiting for a device to tell me how hard to go, that's a pretty, like I've given my power up to this device. Yeah. And that is really, my goal is to empower people to know themselves, to know their bodies. And it can be a beautiful thing if you use the technology to actually be a supportive tool rather than making the decisions for you. Hey guys, just a quick interruption to thank our sponsor this episode, Bioptimizers. Did you know that over 80% of the population is deficient in magnesium and that it's the number one mineral to fight stress, fatigue, and sleep issues? Well, I have a story for you because lately my schedule has been packed and I was finding that my deep sleep, that restorative phase was starting to really suffer. Plus my gut seemed to be slowing down to a crawl, which can also be a sign of stress. So I decided to run the magnesium breakthrough loading program. I bought six bottles and started loading up my body. Within just a few days, my deep sleep scores were on the rise and my gut was back to normal. And it's no big surprise. Magnesium is the single most studied mineral. It powers over 600 critical reactions in our bodies. And don't be believing people who say that any old magnesium will do. Most magnesium supplements fail because they're synthetic and not full spectrum. Magnesium Breakthrough combines all seven critical forms of magnesium so that pretty much every function in your body gets upgraded. This is by far the most complete formula ever created. And until or unless somebody comes up with a better one, this is the one I recommend. And today, as a listener of this show, you can get 10% off with a special coupon code when you visit magbreakthrough.com forward slash Bionat and enter code Bionat. That's magbreakthrough.com forward slash Bionat and enter code Bionat. And now let's get back to the show. I think the technology is great when you're changing things up sometimes and you're looking at mm -hmm. more under the hood responses from the body and that, you know, whether it's a supplement or a different training regimen or whatever the case may be, but uh, definitely having the, give, taking back the, your own superpower of knowing yeah. what you need and when. <laughs> yeah. It's, that's yeah. how you really build. I think like deep, deep trust, self-trust and self-confidence. And that's, I think, whether we state it or not, I think that's what we're all looking for is to wake up feeling more in our bodies, more capable, more in touch with ourselves. 
And from that place, it's really beautiful what can come about from it. And again, not having to rely on not just technology, but on anything external to tell us how we should or shouldn't live our life. Yeah, no, I love that. So another thing that you work with a lot, which of course you've already mentioned it, but you go even further into this for other reasons is somatic release breath work. So, you know, people listening to this podcast have heard about breath work and we've talked a little bit about different types of breath work sometimes, but, you know, using breath work in a much different way for relief, for trauma release and stuff like that. I mean, and so you get into that piece of it as well, moving you know, beyond the physical body, let's say, it's still very much the physical body, but, <laughs> but that somatic breath work really now starts to get into the whole mental aspect of, of our well being as well. So maybe you want to, how did you get into that? And how do you incorporate that into your work? Yeah, it's breath work is a fascinating, like super interesting. I'm still, honestly, I'm, I'm with all this stuff. I'm still like really just learning. I feel I'm not even at the tip of the iceberg, but I've practiced a lot. And so I really feel like that is like studies important, but actual lived experience and practice and coaching hundreds, if not, I mean, thousands of athletes in the last 18 years, I started from the performance side. And so I started looking at breath work from how can we just reduce stress? How can we improve function? How can we incorporate diaphragmatic breathing? What can we do to reduce anxiety? And so uh, a lot of my teaching on breath work has come from, from the performance and health, let's just say aspect has come from the work of Patrick McEwen, who's got some great, great, great books and resources, the oxygen advantage, the breathing cure, everything that he does focuses on nasal breathing and actually getting us to breathe in and out through our nose and the whole cascade of benefits that can come from that. But I also have a deep, deep, deep interest in actually the development of the whole person, like we were talking about, the mind, the emotions, the spirit. And the breath, for me, is the bridge between those two. Mm -hmm. the, the breath is like how we can, yes, it is a physical process. We are breathing in oxygen, exhaling CO2, et cetera. But it's also the bridge to a lot of realizations and healing, like you were saying, trauma. And so for probably the last five years, maybe a little bit longer, for my own healing and just as a, as a human being, like we all have different forms of trauma, whether that's big T trauma, like something horrific happened, whether it's a rape or being molested, whatever, or little T trauma. Like for example, when I was a kid, maybe uh, someone told me that I was never good enough to do something or it was something that I either felt or heard or just sensed from a family member. I took it on as truth. And because mm -hmm. I took it on as truth, it's completely molded and changed it how I relate with the entire world. And so in the last five plus years, I've really done my best to one, just experience all as many as I could, different types of breath work from uh, Wim Hof for more deeper healing to holotropic, to biodynamic, to transformational breath, to somatic release breath work. And all of those really tap into the nervous system. Mm -hmm. And the big thing that really, for me, I mean, I really got a lot out of all of those breath works but there's a few big differences in somatic release that just for me as a person and a practitioner really resonated. And I'll kind of give like a, a brief summary of how a session might go. Yeah. And it's all, so somatic for those who aren't familiar, soma means of the body. And so if anyone's ever read a book or curious, there's a great book called uh, The Body Keeps the Score. Yes. And it, it's an amazing book and really gives a lot of insight into how we hold on to trauma and stress in our fascia, in our tissues and in different organs and glands, et cetera. 
And so what somatic release breath work is doing is it's working on the instinctual level. It's working from, let's say, a bottom-up approach. It's working at the reptilian brain is the instinctual brain. Then you have the limbic emotional, which is the next layer. And then you have the neocortex. That is our most like evolved brain. That's like our analytical, that's our language skills, et cetera. And so is it not that there's anything wrong at all with talk, <laughs> talk therapy, but if there's been a trauma, big T or little t, it is very much trapped in the nervous system, in the tissues. Mm -hmm. And so with somatic release breath work is it gives the person an opportunity through the session, through a container of safety, which is the number one thing in, in my opinion, in any type of healing work, safety being created is the number one prerequisite for someone to open up and to be vulnerable and to express. So somatic of the body uh, release, meaning an actual physical release, an actual, and that could be laughing, shaking, crying, yelling. But in all of today's day and age, it's one, it's not accepted or acceptable to, to if we're really pissed and we're holding a lot of shit, it's really hard to, it, and it's frowned upon to fucking just yell. Yeah. And a lot of times, the more that we hold these things, then we repress our emotions, then we depress our emotions. And so somatic release and the way the, the session is orchestrated, the first half, you could think of it kind of like holotropic. It's uh, more um, intense, forceful breaths in and out through the mouth. That focus of the first half is all around the clearing, the releasing, the music that is used. We use NLP cueing as well mm -hmm. to talk to the body and the nervous system so that someone can clear. And then the second half, and this is really what attracted me to it, the second half, there's a big switch that happens. And so once we've ramped up the nervous system to kind of put someone to increase the stress and kind of allow someone a window to access maybe a light grade trauma, then on the second half, the music gets a lot softer. The cueing changes. Uh, we use like um, Dr. Joe D. dispenses a lot of his work, like actually bringing in feeling and visualization. And so the cueing changes in the second half is all nasal breathing, much calmer. Hmm. And so the second half is now, once we've cleared, once we've created space, once we've moved a lot of the shit that's in us, now it's about down-regulating. It's about rewiring, repatterning. What do we want to embody? How do we want to show up differently? And so at the end of the session, what I've really noticed in a 60 to 90 minute session, people in my, my own experience are really leaving um, maybe much, for me, it was, I was leaving sessions much more put together yeah. and much more in an integrated state and in a calm state. So at the end of the session, someone might've had a very profound relief and maybe they're shaken or they, they definitely need time to integrate what came up, but they're leaving as if they can just walk and if they needed to return to their work day. And so I really loved that. And like the yin, the yang or the working in, the working out, I really loved that balance of the clearing. And now let's refill with the space that's been created. I love that because I got to tell you, I've done a couple of transformational breath sessions that left me a hot mess. Like, mm. I was like just, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I mean, it, it's great and you get that big release, but you kind of need a day to kind of put yourself back together again, like depending on what's come up and what your physical response was. I mean, whether it was, you know, crying or shaking. I mean, there's a nervous system response where the body shakes anyway uh, to this breath work. And you guys, if you've never experienced any of these kinds of breath work, and I'm not putting down transformational breath work at all, it's mm -hmm. just a different process. But I do love 
what you're describing is is an escalation, a release, and then you kind of, it's it's not that you take responsibility for, but you do allow people to go through a process of, as you say, pull themselves back together again and finish as a whole, like not as a gaping wound kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> and and really like I like you know whether it's taking ownership or rewriting a new identity, it's like okay, so now now that we've cleared, okay, so now how do we want to show up for ourselves, for our loved ones, for our families? What's going to be different? What do mm-hmm. we want to change? And so a lot of those cueing and and during the breath work, there's no. I may be saying cues, but the person's not talking. It's as if maybe I'm like uh, talking to their body or their subconscious. Some things may resonate, some things may not, and they can just leave what doesn't. But a lot of times when we say those cues and bring in that actual felt sensation into that, it's literally like every cell in our body is getting on board and rooting for us and like helping us and supporting us. So I've gotten great results from a lot of those other breath works Mm -hmm. and just that balance as we're saying for me and maybe it's stemming back from Paul and having been injured all that sort of stuff I love the balance of those two and like the down regulation and the calming and like when people come out like I learned so much and there's no obligation whatsoever to share anything after a session but if someone feels inclined to share a piece of wisdom or something that they feel called to share I've learned so much about just simply the human experience. It's humbled me so much to hear what people have, have been going through or what they're going to do differently. And it's like, it's probably that in the men's work is probably the most rewarding aspect of my work. I love fitness and I love the mm-hmm. longevity, but in recent years, I've really felt the call to support people at a deeper level, um, realizing that the weights on the bar may feel challenging. Like it's a great feat for a guy or a gal to do a 200, three, four, 500 pound squat, but the real heavy weights are the emotional ones. Well, and that's yeah. really where it takes the courage. Well, you need both. I mean, if you're really going to get to that next level as a, as a person, I think it takes, it takes working on both of those pieces. So, so when you're doing somatic back with the somatic release breath work, are you doing this one-on-one with your clients or do you do, group classes? Like, is this all in-person work? Is it, how do you, how do you integrate the somatic breath work into somatic release breath work into what you do? So in my practice, I do both groups and one-on-ones and they're both a slightly different dynamic with the groups. I mainly incorporate that at the retreats that I lead. And so usually to be a two hour block, which includes the sharing and preparation and talking people, you know, what it's about, just giving, allowing them to be prepped because if someone's never done oh, yeah. breath work as a whole, or even they've done breath work, but nothing like what we're yeah. talking about, it requires respect. Just like we said in the gym, like respect for our own process, like we're all complex individuals. So um, I'll do it in groups in that perspective. I don't te- teach classes right now at least, but I also do virtual and in-person one-on-ones. Um, and I've been really surprised. So the only difference between a virtual one-on-one and an in-person is, so there's a few things that we can use as practitioners. We can use our voice. And so when mm-hmm. someone's breathing, I can make audible sounds like <sighs> to help them if they're stuck or holding their breath, for example, that can be helpful. Um, can also use, uh, if someone's, let's say, uh, there's an expression of anger that wants to come out and they're grunting, I might get next to them and just make subtle sounds like, ah, ah, and kind of, um, 
encourage something, mm-hmm. but, but never to push, kind of just meet them at their level. And it's amazing just a little bit, like a little bit with this stuff goes a long way. Yeah. Uh, and we can also use touch as well. But mm-hmm. um, there's also a process in the beginning that we ask when everyone's eyes close, if they feel comfortable with touch and that's permitted. And also it's a, it's a, a very loving touch. And typically it's only at the belly if someone stopped breathing or on the shoulder, for example. But touch is also where most of the defenses that people have. And so touch is only in person and only like as a very last, last, last resort and only if permission's given. Yeah. That, that being, and then the music is also really important. But with virtual, I'm blown away at the results people can experience because when we talked about safety earlier, um, yes, I can create as safe of a container as I can in my home or at these retreats. But when someone's in there, I did a session for a, for a lady last night when she's in her own safe space, when she's mm-hmm. in her room, uh, there's, um, and maybe she's, it's not a place where she feels fully safe to release. Maybe there's other people in the house. You can use things like pillows or whatever would help you feel safe enough to go there. And also too, there's no expectation or obligation to have a release. Yeah. I really do feel that even just getting someone to breathe and to listen to the music and the cueing without any touch, without any of that stuff, sometimes I, I feel like people didn't have any experience. And then when they do the share after, I'm like, holy shit. Like, I yeah. can't, like, and I've so, I've like thrown my hands up. I was like, I'm not going to make any judge, not judgments, but I'm not going to make any thought around what someone's experience is because I have no idea truly what's going on. So the virtual stuff can be really powerful and we stream music during it. Um, usually the breathing's about an hour, but I'll do a 90 minute window for like a little intro. And then if they want to share at the end. Yeah, no, I love that. I actually uh, recently co-hosted a women's retreat. Oh, wow. Uh, in the Dominican Republic. And cool. uh, my co-host, whose name is Dasha Maximov, actually, we, these, these, these poor women came off planes and some of them came from very far. And within two hours, we're like at this center and we led, well, Dasha led them through a type of breath work as well. Similar. Nobody knew anybody. Like this is a <laughs> bunch of strangers and we did this breath work before doing an ice bath. Wow. Um, and what was amazing, in spite of the looks of terror on a couple of the women's eyes going on oh, ice, like ice, you mean like cold water ice? <laughs> like, like all of me in the ice? <laughs> My whole body? Yeah, like all of it? <laughs> We're not going to get hypothermia. I learned about that in lifeguarding class. <laughs> and, um, and what was amazing is that the way that the group bonded after mm. between the breath work, you know, amazingly, again, like a couple of the women had really significant releases. One was not ready. So to your point, like preparing the groundwork, allowing people to, if they really needed to step away mm. um, as well, because we, we don't always know as practitioners going into something like this, what a person is holding and how close to the surface it may be for them. And if they're not ready to go there, to your point, you know, preparing the landscape, explaining to them what may or may not happen, what could happen, and giving them permission to step back, because it is such an incredibly powerful and beautiful process. That's so important. And the beautiful thing about the breath is the breath is the only medicine, right? There's no external substance or anything. And so... uh, what oftentimes if someone's really deep in a process or maybe crying a lot or whatever, 
I might just encourage them, whisper, just say, hey, you know, I'm going to roll you on your side and you can just stay there as long as you need to. Mm-hmm. Or if you want to, if it's too intense, you, you've got your foot on the gas pedal. At yeah. any point, and I, I really encourage this, less is more. You don't have to get it all out in one session. Yeah. And sometimes, like just, and especially in a group scenario, because a lot of it is when maybe someone hears one person release, it can give the other people re- uh, permission yeah. to release. And that's also the really powerful aspect of a group dynamic. But you've got your foot on the gas pedal. So if it's too intense or too much is coming up, highly encouraged. Just slow down the breath. Maybe switch to nasal breathing. Take your time and maybe you don't go back in the breath. You just chill there and just sit and calm and like, and that's where you were that day. And that's beautiful. And that is like so, so, so okay. And if in fact, it's encouraged. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I love that. And I have to say that the this type of work is, and, and you said something earlier, like it doesn't have to be words, you know? So for people, and I find this maybe even more so for men who tend to be, they, they maybe don't have permission or they feel they don't have permission. They don't articulate their feelings necessarily as well. And guys, I'm not, I'm not generalizing here. Some of you are incredibly articulate and really good with words, but so many men seem stuck for whatever reason, either they can't or they won't, or they've been taught that it's not okay to articulate. And this breath work really gives, and, 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 you know, there may be women in this camp as well, but in general, we see it a little bit more in men, this type of work, it takes away that barrier of entry, right? It's, it's much more, it's actually more physical Mm -hmm. in a sense. And I think that's probably, well, one, I am a man. So like, I think I just, cause I just, my own experience, I have more of an understanding of just, just men in general. Cause I am one, Yeah. but that's also why I also feel so called to support men. And that's where a lot of the breath work that I do, it is predominantly for men at these retreats and such, but it's, uh, and I think too, the, the talking can be, and can be really helpful, but really it's less about that. And oftentimes if the talking puts, because this is all heart-centered work. This is about mm-hmm. us getting into our hearts and opening that. And so if we are talking and that brings us into our head and we're writing, we're trying to think about the story, all that stuff. Again, this is the bottom-down approach. This is yeah. working with the instinctual level. So it's so much, no talking needs to happen at all. And it's literally just about getting us into our heart because as men, it's that is one big thing that I truly do see now working with more men over the last, I don't know, four to five years. You're exactly right. We don't, I think all people, but especially as men, it's like we were either told or we saw, like we observed or we felt like from a family member or someone in society, We they may not even have said something to us, but we mm-hmm. observed or we just had a felt sense that something wasn't safe to express ourselves. Or, you know, if we got injured, like you said earlier, it's not okay to actually just be there for a moment and actually process and cry or whatever it needs to happen. We got to hop right back up and be, <laughs> be we, we've got to be the, you know, the, the, not saying for everybody, but we got to be, uh, we have to have all the freaking check boxes. We got to be the financial provider. We got to be great in bed. We got to be strong. We got to be resilient. It's a lot of check boxes that many guys, myself included, have felt. And that's a, it's a lot on us, a lot of weight. 
And so if we can kind of let go of that story and just get into our heart. And for me, a strong man is someone also a man who's willing to be vulnerable. Yes, Mm -hmm. we want to be able to protect our family physically or financially or whatever, but we also need to be able to turn that off. And we need to be able to connect with our women, with our partners or whatever, and be soft. Because if, for example, during the workday, I'm primarily, I'm not saying, uh, like if I'm primarily bringing a masculine essence, the do, the action, the black and the white, let's say, that might serve me really well in business. But if I take that same energy when the day's over and I do that when I interact with my partner, then I'm going to be looking for everything wrong with her. What is she doing wrong? What do I need to fix? What does she need to change? That does not really encourage connection. (laughs) Like, I don't know any, I don't know any woman that would want that about their guys picking them apart. So we need to learn. And that's where the working in that, what we talked about earlier, this breath work, the ability to change states and the breath is such instrumental. I mean, the inhale is the excitation part. That's the ramping up of the nervous system. The exhalation is the more calming side. So just like this, at the end of the workday, we need to be able to switch states, leave that identity behind, and now realize it's time with family. Now it's time to be present. It's time to be the loving husband. Uh, but if we can't make that switch or we're having difficulty, it can just be really hard to have a very just emotionally connected relationship, which is what I think not just women, but what we're all looking for in relationships. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a great point. And, you know, it's funny. I even think that even in a work environment, being able to access a different side Mm. of yourself could be really powerful. I mean, why are women different leaders than men? Right. And it's not that all women are the same. It's not that some women could not be super black and white and judgy in the whole night, you know, and and get into that space. But if we're going to talk about in general, even being able to access that different aspect of yourself in a work environment, I think in many ways will make someone a better leader or a better collaborator or contributor or whatever position it is that you have, because it's not necessarily because you're a leader or whatever. You could be a team member. You could be, you know, the guy in the warehouse, whatever. It, it doesn't matter being able to tap into different aspects of your personality and not be so one track. Bringing in a little bit of empathy, or I was, I don't recall what study I was reading, but basically I was blown away because it was looking at uh, the most prevalent uh, traits of leaders. And mm-hmm. I was like, man, I don't know what that would be. Maybe it's uh, being very assertive or it was whatever I was thinking. And the number one thing across the board was self-awareness. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to be self-aware of what's going on in our team or in whatever in the business environment if we're so fixed that our way maybe is the only way or we have yeah. to constantly like, but if we can't drop in and connect with what maybe the other person's feeling or just be curious to ask a question, genuinely not just saying, hey, how was your day? And have it be an automatic thing where most people just say, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. But actually slowing down and maybe pulling someone aside and having more of a genuine connection I really feel like that's what builds trust. And if someone has trust in you as a leader, they'll, they'll go to war for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, again, and that multifactorial personality is something that's sorely needed in the world these days. Just, mm-hmm. um, so I love this work that you're doing. So why don't you tell Thanks. us a little bit about your retreats? How long are they? Like, so you're, you're doing men focused retreats. <laughs> a, I think is awesome. Because, <laughs> well, because women are always going, we're, we are always going on retreats, right? We're going to a yoga <laughs> retreat and a breathwork retreat. Yeah. I mean, my retreat was longevity and brilliance. Like that was all really awesome. But guys, I don't know, like not as much, not so much. So 
let's let's feel let's feed the boy soul right now. Tell us about the men's retreats. <laughs> well, it's funny because I was sharing briefly before our call that like, well, two things. One, it's incredible how many women gift these retreats to their, <laughs> even not even their lover, but just their brother or their father or whatever. We've got all ages from mid-20s to I think early 60s, more yeah. or less completely different phases in life. And I think that's the beauty of it as well. But also the amount of women that I've had write me emails or whatever, write me on social after like my husband or whatever is completely different after the retreat or showing up totally different as a father. And that's what really excites me because one of my goals and my dreams is to create these containers of safety where guys can get together to develop that sense of brother. There's something very special and unique when all women get together. And there's also something very unique when all men get together. There's a level of safety and conversations and dialogues mm-hmm. that a lot of men just don't feel, you know, I, I think it's a mis, uh, a misconception that, our partners have to be everything to us and yeah. for us. That's not true. There's certain things. I had a buddy come over yesterday and it felt so good to share with him some of the challenges that I'm going through. And he held space for me in a way that I just wrote him this morning. I was like, dude, I am forever grateful for you just mm. holding space. And like, those are just conversations via our bond and our relationship and how he showed up and just sitting with me and listening. It was like, it was priceless. So yeah. the the retreats uh, that I'm running right now are three nights, four days. Um, they've been in Mount Shasta, so beautiful area of California. Shasta is known um, for anyone who's interested in the chakras, not to get super woo-woo, but it's the root chakra point of the world. So it's a very grounding center. So the theme, the theme of our retreats at this one is hold your ground. So mm-hmm. for guys to get together in their body grounded, we do I'm a big fan of rites of passage and, and initiation rituals. I love ritual. So we do a private sweat lodge with a Native American who's been doing it for, I think, over 40 years now. There's somatic release breath work. There's ice. There's a silent hike. There's a cacao ceremony, which is a heart opening ceremony. So we it's called Men of Movement. So most of my following has been movement people and fitness, but we literally only do one workout on day one just to connect. And it's not about the workout. It's just about us bonding and sweating from the travel and moving our bodies, but the whole other type of the whole rest of the retreat is more heart-centered work. Wow. And really calling up guys because sometimes, just like in fitness, sometimes we need to slow it down. Mm-hmm. And sometimes guys uh, in general to say like need a kick in their ass. And if they've been just too lax or don't have a sense of purpose or calling or re- whatever, we need to call them up and hold space and listen, but also, you know, um, let them know like, hey, you're playing small right now. Mm-hmm. Like you're meant for much more than this. What do you really love to do? Let's have an honest conversation. What's holding you back? What? So it's more heart-centered work, but there is a movement component. And so over the course of four days, we do that. And my partner comes, she's in the kitchen, but she is an incredible organic <laughs> chef. So she, everything is from the land. Uh, everything is, we do a sensory, sensory experience dinner. Everything is made with love, homemade bone broth to everything is like getting people connected with their body, with their food and with the brothers there. Yeah. I love it. I'm not, I'm going to, I'm going to gloss over the, um, the woman in the kitchen thing. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> just happens to be her skill set. <laughs> yeah, she. Lo- I mean, it's what she loves, and it's how she expresses love. And she yeah. just loves to. She loves to share, and she tells. You know, uh, I'll bring her out, and she'll tell a little bit of the story of the food, and and she brings. Um, you know, even I don't want to say she's in the background, but she's in the kitchen a lot. But like, it's so nice to have a feminine presence mm-hmm. there as well. And bring a little bit of softness to things. And like, uh, so it's really, and it just, it's an incredible thing to be able to do this and co-create this stuff with her because she's oh, not yeah. only like my biggest fan, but she's an absolutely integral part in this whole experience. Um, so she's, she's incredible. And I'm like, just super grateful that she's willing to be a part of this with me. That's awesome. I love that. Do have a little bring a little bit of femininity into yeah. the space, soften, soften the edges, soften the edges, bit. soften it a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> it's all that boy energy. Yeah. We're beating the drum. We're, you know, we're, we're getting, and which is great. Uh, yeah. but little bit of softness and cooling and like all of the meals are via the activities are all very intentionally created. And so after the sweat lodge, what meals created in the morning of that, there's fasting incorporated. So the exact meals and where things are, everything's intentional around the whole thing. There's a plan. Everything. There's a plan. plan. And also I've learned to also be very (laughs) flexible. So I love having organization and there's some benchmark things each day. But if someone is really opening up and someone is going through a process, like we are switching the plan or if the guys need something else, I am so open to go off script and to modify, to pull things out or to pull in other tools. Um, And sometimes the most valuable thing happens in between the activities when the guys actually have time and space to connect with each other. And so um, I've learned to like, I love the plan. And also there's a time and a place to like say, screw the plan what what's happening is amazing yeah. and what the whole theme is. So let's not go into the next thing and keep doing as well. Yeah, no, I love that. I, I definitely found in planning the retreat, like resisting the temptation to just keep packing more and more and more and more <laughs> in, <laughs> and allowing for those spaces. Do you find that your retreat members really kind of, they kind of stay in touch, like they bond over these retreats. I've, I was amazed at the degree of connection that people left with. And I, yeah, I would yeah. guess that you see the same thing. It's, it's, and, and there's some, you know, it's interesting because I'd say about 50% of the guys more or less have done a lot of self-development work and the other 50% haven't done any. And so it's so cool to like, they all, like my main job is to facilitate, to create the container. And I've got some great facilitators, but really organically letting things happen. And like when guys, they stay in a a glamping type tent, two people per tent and the conversations at the end of the day that happen is just incredible. And I've seen so much connection just to, to Mm -hmm. your point that have happened. I'm like, Whoa, this guy's going to that guy's retreat now. And like, I'm like, (laughs) hell yeah. Like I mean, Lauren, my partner were just in Costa Rica for one of the members yoga retreats. And there was another member there who attended the retreat with his wife and we all got to bond. And I didn't even know that they really kept in close contact. And I was like, dude, this is fucking awesome. Yeah. Now we're all here together. We're all driving in a different space and a different vibe. Uh, so it's really cool. Really, really cool. Oh my God. I love it. I'm the, this <laughs> is you. so amazing. I think I might have to send you my husband. I mean, he's, yeah. he's one of the guys that's done a lot of the, the work, but okay. 
you know, every guy deserves a, ho- a real holiday once in a while. <laughs> yeah. Sad. And sometimes it's creating that space. And even the guys who have had more life experience or done a lot of this work, it's like one of the things I really feel like as society, we don't have rites of passage or initiations, but mm-hmm. also we don't really have elders anymore. Yeah. And so like, I love when some of these older guys with more life experience who have been through stuff become mentors. Like I really think the mentorship role, like there's there's things that they've experienced that I will never experience or may not experience something remotely similar for 10, 20 years. Mm-hmm. And so giving them the platform to share what they've learned is like invaluable for anyone, myself included, let alone people who haven't had any context to put this stuff together. Yeah, no, that's, I love that. And you know, it's what you said earlier, like you get, you get a full range of ages and types of people. And I do think it's, it's, in, in society, we tend to be siloed. Like we hang out with people our own age, or we do things <laughs> that we're supposed to do at whatever stage of life we're at. And when you create a container like this, that is non-judgmental, and you end up attracting different people from different parts of life, and they, and they now interact and connect in such a deep way, it is quite amazing what can unfold mm. coming out of it. So, it's so I think cool. that's, uh, that's very cool. Okay. So Mike, Tell us about where people can find you, or is there anything else you want to talk about? Did we leave anything out that we should have covered? I think like at this point, I'm sold. I'm wishing I was a guy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm so honestly, I am so grateful and and honored to be here and to be able to platform to share, share like those are the three things that I'm most passionate about, especially moving into more men's work. So I am so complete and so stoked and Um, if anyone's curious to learn more or has a family member or friend who's interested in some of the work that I'm doing, uh, my website is mikesalemi.io. Uh, I am on Instagram, which is mike.salemi. I mainly post fitness stuff there as well as my YouTube channel, which is just my name, but I am starting to share more of the men's work stuff. And if they go, anyone goes to my website, there's a drop down in the upper right that people can, if they're interested in a somatic release session or to find out more info, we have our next retreat coming up in next week. And then the next one will be in October as well. So people can just book a call to hop on a call with me or just shoot me any questions that they've got. Okay, great. So next week, so guys, just so you know, we're recording on May 4th. Unfortunately, the way my podcast process works, we won't be out in time for any any last minute sliders to come into your retreat next (laughs) week. But hopefully we can help you to be found by someone for October who needs you. Thank you so much. Mike, thank you so, so much. This has been a great conversation. I really appreciate you being here. Super welcome. Thanks again. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes because that's what helps us to be heard and to be seen. If you'd like to connect with me directly, or if you'd like to leave any comments, or if you have any questions about this episode, please reach out to me directly through my website, mattnidham.com. And of course, if you're not already a member of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Community on Facebook, that's where you'll find me every day. It's a short application. Just answered a couple of questions and you're in and interfacing with other amazing biohackers. Thanks again. And we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode.